Okay, let's see where we go today. Verse 24, Acts 19. For a certain man, Demetrius, a silversmith, which made silver shrines for Diana, brought no small gain unto the craftsmen, whom he called together with the workmen of like occupation and said, Sirs, ye know by this craft we have our wealth. Moreover, ye see and hear that not alone at Ephesus, but almost throughout all Asia, this Paul hath persuaded and turned away much people, saying that they be no gods which are made with hands. So that not only this our crafts is in danger to be set at naught, but also that the temple of the great goddess Diana should be despised and her magnificence should be destroyed, whom all Asia and the world worshipeth. And when they heard these sayings, they were full of wrath and cried out, saying, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. And the whole city was filled with confusion. And having caught Gaius and Aristarchus, men of Macedonia, Paul's companions in travel, they rushed with one accord into the theater. And when Paul would have entered in unto the people, the disciples suffered him not. And certain of the chief of Asia which were his friends sent unto him, desiring him that he would not adventure himself unto the theater. Some therefore cried one thing, and some another, for the assembly was confused, and the more part knew not wherefore they were come together. Let's stop there. And if we get beyond 32, morning guys, morning at 32, that it, 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 the whole thing changes course. And what happens here is you have to, I don't want to give away the setting yet for the amphitheater. That's fascinating what happens here. But we're in the middle of a situation here where we're in the Ephesus. Does anybody know that today, in all of the world, Ephesus and in that area in Asia Minor is the most restored, kept up, oldest area in the world? They have updated the buildings, and why wouldn't they? It's these Greek philosophers and all these Greek gods, and they have taken these statues and they have preserved them to have this false idol worship hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, and it's still there. And so what happens here is incredible. They're outside of this amphitheater. It's, it's more than a theater. And right now, Demetrius is standing up and he's a, he is furious about what's happening. Now, I know we've talked about this situation with Diana. We're going to have, we've been leading up to this. And this is kind of the crescendo. So we're kind of like some of these like detective shows, how, they, how when they start out, they say, let's go back. You know, they go back and they review the last couple of shows to catch you up on what's happening. And you'll see all this stuff. But then you hit the crescendo. You know, the main character usually winds up at the end getting shot or some great big thing happens. Well, here... We see it leading up, and what were the people thinking? What was the current community conscience? Well, here we see that the last 10 minutes of the class of last Sunday, we opened the door on the theatrics of a great complainant who was driven to fury, not by his sheer love for his false religion, but for the almighty dollar. That's usually what happens in all of these idol-worshipping cults. It's about money. It's not about Diana. It's about money and the economy. So here we see that there is trouble in Ephesus. Paul wanted to take leave. He wanted to go to Macedonia. He wanted to go to Achaia. He wanted to go back to Corinth, back to Jerusalem, then Rome. But it pretty much, you read it, you read it, you read it, you read it, you read it. Holy Spirit didn't want him to do it. Holy Spirit wanted him right where he was at the time 
At certain times in our ministry, the Lord wants us to stay and to, be, and to bloom where we're planted, even though sometimes we feel like we've got to go forward and do other things. There are some times the Lord wants us to stay in particular. I've seen that. I've seen that in areas of my life with ministering for the Lord. There are some times I want to go forward with certain messages, or sometimes I want to do this or that, and it just doesn't happen. And the Lord wants us to stay where we're at. And this is what Paul's doing, staying at Ephesus. Here he purposed in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit always led Paul. And he had a gift of this. He, he would go, he would carry this with him throughout Asia Minor. The gift was so important and was so powerful that the direction of the Holy Spirit actually had Paul being able to heal people. And we're going to see that in the next chapter. Where do you see how he heals a man from the dead? And then this carries through Asia Minor. He's still in Asia Minor. He's still in the great city of Ephesus. And we see that Paul literally talked about going forward, and he didn't. He will go to Macedonia. And in the meantime, before he hits Rome, he's already going to start writing Romans. He's going to write the letter to the diaspora. And they're going to hear the gospel, and he's going to tell them about false idol worship and how Israel fell because of how they turned their back on Christ. And that's what his writings are all about. You see that from Romans 1 through 11. It's all about policy and covenant, covenantial agreements with the Lord and how the Lord never backed out on his covenants. And then he, he goes, I could go on for this for an hour. He goes right into Romans 12 and you see personal applications in our Christian life and how we follow the Lord, how we stay away from idols. But we see that Paul loved the Romans. We see that before we go into this Diana incident, we consider Paul's notions if we have read that he would travel to Rome. He loved the dispersed Jews. And although it was nothing but a hotbed there, he thought that those people were the glory of his ministry. He loved the fact that these dispersed Jews that had been kicked out of their homes, he loved the fact that they were staying faithful. And he wanted to encourage them. What a heart of a pastor. So here we go. The Diana incident. What happens here, it starts off, the one that's, that seemingly takes the playing field first is Demetrius. Anybody ever hear of Demetrius? Not a very popular name, but Demetrius here, he's a silversmith. Now we're also, we're also going to see how there's a Alexander that pops up later on in the story. He's a coppersmith. Many theologians, I've read all kind of commentaries, I listen to messages this week, one I always listen to that I listen to probably more than anyone else. Most of them don't believe that that was the same Alexandra. I do. I believe that just as much as Demetrius was a silversmith, this Alexander the coppersmith, they both used their talents to do these edifices and to make all of these statues and these little trinkets to go around and chant to. And they chanted. And here we see that Demetrius is the number one complainant. Verse 24, for a certain man named Demetrius a silversmith, which made silver shrines for our Diana, brought no small game, called together, no small game, the workmen, and said, they are going to take down our wealth and our money. This is what's going to happen. This brings up an incredible application. I like to apply while I'm trying to go through this, because it brings up something that John Calvin said in his Institutes in Acts chapter 1, sections 11, 8. I think this is incredible. We see the complaint against Paul. Whenever the gospel is being given in spirit and in truth, opposition is going to break out. Complaints, 
possible violence, and this was, they were going right into a hotbed. Inevitably, when Christ's name is being magnified obedient, lovers of false idols will become irate. And it's amazing how they're always in mobs. Doesn't that sound familiar? What do we call mob rule? Democracy. Thank you, Matthew. That's mob, mob rule. America's not a democracy. It's supposed to be a republic. That's what it is. Democracy is mob rule, and that's what you get. That's what happened here. They ganged up on Paul. They started coming after him. And basically, if you go all the way through the Old Testament, what does the Lord tell the people over and over and over and over? He's told Moses, You honor my law, and I will bless your cattle. I will bless your family. I will bless your children. I will bless your rivers. I will bless your, your cars, your, your chariots, your horses, your pigs. I'll bless it all. Then it takes a turn to the oracle of woe. You defy my law, and you haven't seen how I'm going to fix your wagon. I will curse everything in your life down to the fourth generation and then beyond that. Lisey. Right. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Right. The Lord's clear about that. Yeah. We think as Christians, as professing Christians, we really think we're on a very long tether here, and we're not. Right. The Lord's very patient long suffering, and read verses 2 to 5. Listen to this. We're going into, while Lisi's looking that up, we're going into a hotbed where there's diaspora. They are non-Christ-believing Jews that are here. We're going to see that here a minute. This theater is massive. And these people that are here are outweighing the Christians probably 100 to 1. And they're all idol worshipers. And the Lord warned against this. Can you read that? Thank you, Lisi. Sure. Uh, if you will not hear, and if ye will not lay it to heart to give glory unto my name, mm-hmm. I will even send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessing. Yea, I have cursed them already, because ye do not lay it to heart. Behold, I will corrupt your seed and spread dung upon mm. your faces, even the dung of your solemn feet, and one shall take you away with it. And ye shall know that I have sent this. Thank you. Look at that. Do you hear that? All of a sudden in these three verses, there's a four-letter word that shows up. And it's a name. He calls Levi. He's talking about the Levitical priesthood and how the priesthood made it clear priests were preachers. They were the shepherds of the day. They were not allowed to sit down. They were supposed to work and work and work. And when they were administering the sacrifices, they were never allowed to sit down. That's why you see in the New Testament when these Caiaphas kind of priests and Annas, and they're trying to do the priesthood, they were all false because they would literally do their work sitting down. The priests were not allowed to sit down. 
the Levitical priesthood said and showed, and their obligation was to tell the people, don't you dare defy God. Don't you defy His... If you, if you defy His law, He will not just curse you. He will curse your blessings. That is the last thing in this world that you want is God to curse your blessings. Your blessings are the health of your children, the health of your family, the healing of your bodies, the wealth that you have to pay your bills. If He curses that, there's no telling what can happen. And to this day, if you go over into Ephesus in those areas... Those areas have been dirt poor and they have been tyrannically overtaken for centuries because of their filth and their wickedness. And to this day, they're still blind and they still worship the stuff. Sure. You see that? They, they still have it and they will not relinquish it. John Calvin famously said, The human heart is a perpetual idol factory. Hominis, ingenium, perpetuum, Et itai loquar essay, and here it is, idolorum fabricum. We are all by nature idol factories. John Calvin explains that idols are handcrafted representations of gods, typically in the form of a picture or statue, and they specifically created, they're created to give an invisible deity a visible form. Calvin explains that idols replace the true invisible divine reality with a corrupted, false, vis- visible, physical reality. And so for Calvin, idolatry occurs every time the truth about God is exchanged for a lie. Go to Romans 1. And you can see how the truth of God was exchanged for a lie. And people literally are trying to, even here we see, take a dead being made with their own hands, bring it to life into their own minds and hearts, and give it deity. Where does man have a right to give anything deity? Look at that. Look at the Catholic Church. Look at all these other churches. Look at the Presbyterian Church today. We're Presbyterians, and there are Presbyterian churches that do this. It's everywhere. It's everywhere. There's no one that can... The only way you can talk about religion and take religion and put it into a big bucket and unify it is only to say that they are all wicked because man is wicked. And that's exactly true. Even in Presbyterian Methodist churches today, there has been a real falling away from standing up for what's right. And the church has basically acquired laryngitis. It doesn't stand up and talk about any, against anything anymore. It's everywhere. We see that Paul had already staked his claim in the midst of this modern day or these academicians. He had done that back at Morris Hill and he dusted the ground that they all stood on. Well, how did he do it? With the gospel of Christ. He went right after them and showed them who owns the true atonement and who has the power to forgive sins. There's only one. Muhammad couldn't do it. Confucius couldn't do it. Certainly Barack Obama can't do it and they all think he's a god. Pharaoh couldn't do it. Joe Biden's nothing. He's not even, I mean, he couldn't even be considered a cartoon from Looney Tunes Network. And all this, all of, you see these people are all dying. They're all dead. None of them can atone for your sins. Christ is still alive and he's on the phone. I mean, on the throne. He's on, I'm sorry, he's on the throne. Paul had already staked his claim in the midst of these modern day academicians, and we have the same problem today. Academicians. What goes on in these cemeteries, that's what RC called them seminaries, is these academicians have taken over and they have reworked the minds of most young men. They don't even 
ever even begin to believe in the authenticity of God's miracles. You don't have to listen to me. Get on and study of it. You don't believe me? Get on and read about it. You can go into Encyclopedia Britannica. You can go into Wikipedia, my favorite lie. And then there's all these other Google, Google networks and all. They have nothing but all kinds of explanations who Christ is. They, some of them don't even believe he ever existed. And so here, Paul, you, can you imagine what he's going through in the middle of this Asia Minor? 90, 95 probably percent of it believed according to what's said here in Scripture. They believed in worshiping this weird, this, this weird goddess. And there we see what a horrible, horrible problem was in the middle of all this. Here Diana, she's the chief idol. Demetrius is the complainant. He laments the preachers of the gospel and he says they're going to take away all of our economy. He's a silversmith. Diana, Roman deity equated with Artemis. Anybody ever heard of Artemis? That's a big one, isn't it? Equated with Artemis, identified with Artemis and worshipped like Artemis. Greek goddess of the moon, said to be the daughter of Zeus and Leto. Artemis watched over nature for both humans and animals, goddess of fertility. In Ephesus in Asia Minor, she was portrayed as a more mature woman. And there, I'm not even going to tell you what's in the statue. You have to look it up. I have a really good old theological dictionary that has this horrible picture of what Artemis looks like. And the way it's portrayed, it's just filthy. That's all i got to say about that. This riot began as a result of Paul's preaching. His apostolic journeys over and over and over again invariably resulted in hostility and violence. I've seen that. Oh, I've seen that. I remember going up here in 05 or 06. I remember this universal church up here. They were, they were going to produce this marriage equality act. And there was a tiny handful of people that stood up there and read the Bible. And you should have seen the venom that was in these people. Oh, hundreds of people there. Cameras. It was all, I went up and I, I, never, I never talked in front of a bunch of people in my life. I was scared of that. So I went up to the pulpit. I had three minutes and I read Genesis 19 and I sat down. I read the whole thing and that was it. When I got done reading it, they were all like, what? <laughs> and but they, with the venom that was there was just incredible. I mean, the hate. And people that say that they don't even believe that there is a God, when you mention his name, they get furious. Well, how can you get furious about something that doesn't exist? They know. See? They know. Well, Paul knew this. I'm glad, I'm glad that I love Paul. Of course, I'm glad I love Christ ultimately, but Paul was incredible. So Demetrius causes his men to come together and says, we have a big problem and it threatens our economic prosperity by molding images and shrines for the goddess Diana. The shrine of Diana was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. When Paul stood on Mars Hill, the Acropolis, he could see, you could see the Parthenon, which was high, and you were able to see it anywhere you were in that area and when you stood in the part of Athens. The Parthenon was massive. The goddess of Diana was four times bigger than the Parthenon. That's how much they worshipped her. Wait to hear this. Listen to this. 127 columns, each being 60 foot in height. The ancient sculptor Praxiteles was the one who carved the sculptures into the building. Praxiteles to Greece was like Michelangelo was to Rome in the 16th century. The grandeur that was adorned in that temple was by his hands, and he was a sculptor, and he spent his life making these incredible 
lifelike carvings. I mean, it grips your eyes to even see pictures of it. can't imagine what it looks like up front. The grandeur that was adorned by then was due largely to these sculptures. This temple drew pilgrims all over from the ancient world. Diana had such a huge following that the cult of Diana was the largest competing world religion. And it was not a confined local cult. It was a massive cult. Prayers were made of the shrine of Diana and people chanted to the idol every day. What would you rather do as a Christian? They, do you even, do you, if you get up and you get on your knees, which I love to do and pray in the morning, isn't it wonderful that you can connect to the God of our salvation and tell Him personally your problems? Would you rather be able to do that and have a personal intervention in your prayer time which God commands? Or would you rather forget about all that with all the trials and tribulations and stand in front of a great big metal aisle and say, great is the God of Diana, great is the God of Diana, great is the, all day, two hours and hours every day. That was your prayer time if you worship Diana. Where's the joy in that? Where is it? It's like eating the same piece of food every day over and over and over again without, without getting rid of it. It's disgusting. Over and over, that's what they would do. That's how they worshipped Diana. It was repetitive chanting, just like the Harry Krishners. You know, down at the airport, Harry Krishna, Harry Krishna, all that stuff. There's nothing there. It's all nothing but a cult. It's like these liberals. Same thing over and over every day on television. We hate Christians. We hate Christians. We love to kill babies. We all have, and over and over and over. That's all they do. Lisey. Right? And they really think the more they do it, the closer they get to some kind of metaphysical uh, rendering of joy. Lisa. Right. Right. You know what it reminds me of? That's a great point. What it reminds me of, if you hear a lie enough, you'll start to believe it. You want to know how it's done in America? may not be done with the statue of Diana, but I can tell you right now, you pick some of your favorite commercials that you've seen a million times, and you're going to start drinking whatever they're selling. Coke is the real, remember Coca-Cola is the real thing? Everybody, when they put that out and they put that little red sticker, back in the 70s, they sold more bottles of Coke, and it's the worst thing in the world you can put in your body. I mean, it's horrible. 
but you could, millions and millions and millions because of a commercial. They said it enough. It got repetitive. Remember all the commercials, you know? We do it all for you. McDonald's, you see this goofy guy with these big red shoes flopping around and everybody's eating these horrible hamburgers. Millions and billions of them, you know? <laughs> you see Burger King, and it, what does it say up here? Uh, our burgers. Yeah, for a clown. People are eating those charbroiled burgers. We don't even know where those burgers came from. And millions and billions and millions and billions of them. That's what happens. And this is what was happening. They're out in the streets saying, Great is Diana, over and over, and people start chanting it with them. They hear it enough. It gets into their head. It becomes infectious. And they start doing it. And Paul's there. He's like, we got to do something about this. we got to give them the truth. These people are all going to burn in hell. Look what they're doing. The crowd stages a protest and riot against Paul and his people. Here's the theater. The theater was not a regal cinema or a senator with this little building filled with a bunch of little cushy, you know, 50 or 60 cushy chairs with a popcorn stand. This theater was massive over there. It was carved into a mountain like a big cave and it sat 25,000 people and it also was a place of execution. If you study about it, you don't read that a whole lot. But there was quite, I haven't confirmed this yet, but I'm going to propose this. There was quite possible that they had lions and tigers locked up here, ready to release them in the theater on the Christians. I believe this would have been a lot like the Circus Maximus. I believe this was a great possibility. And if you read this over and over again, which I love, wonderfully did, the tenor of it is when, the, when the, uh, uh, the town clerk, he starts speaking. He's trying to pull back on something that's going to happen that's brutal. And the reason that he says that we are in danger of doing this is an incredible, it's an incredible result. I believe that they were in there to get executed personally. 25,000 people, this was a large inquisition of Paul and his other fellow Christian brethren. They practice what is called the use of the ditto, meaning the same or repeating something over and over again. The people would sing a mantra, repetitive, mindless, and what repetitive, mindless, chants to Diana, which is 100% in Scripture warned against. Repetitive, vain babblings and chants. It's totally warned against. Matthew 6, 7, But when ye pray, use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. Christ, what does that mean? He said, for they think they will be heard from their much speaking. But he's saying, I don't, I'm not going to listen to him. And that last, the last person in the whole world, in the universe, that you don't want to listen to you is Jesus Christ. You want him on your side. You want to be doing what he says. And these vain repetitions are just horrible. Two hours, it says, that they would cry out, Great is Diana of the Ephesians. Then finally a magistrate came and said, You don't know what you're doing here. This is where the town clerk the town clerk will be coming in, and he, he takes up for Paul. I mean, he takes up for Aristarchus and Gaius. Paul is somewhere there. i got to be honest with you. To this minute, I don't know where Paul was. You can't, while reading this and, and reading commentary, I dug and I dug and I dug. I couldn't find out where Paul was through all of this. He was there. This is what I believe. I think the disciples that he trained came to him and said, if you think you were public enemy number one to the Christian church when you were a Pharisee, that doesn't even begin to compare to the public enemy number one you are now being a Christian. 
The Jews hate you. The Romans hate you. The Ephesians, some of them are listening to you. But if you go in the center of that theater, you're going to be the main dish for the lions. <laughs> you're going to be at the epicenter of the table. And you better hold back and stay back. And I believe that Paul listened to them. But then I believe if you read the tempo, this is what was hard to figure out, and it took a lot of just looking. The tempo starts raging. The rioters come out. And I believe at one point Paul was stepped way back. And then he tiptoed and he probably put maybe his robe or something. You know how they had those like hoods and all? Put them over his face and he walked in the middle. And he tried to just keep an eye on his disciples. And he saw what happened. He had to have. Because if you read later in Corinthians, Paul mentions this event in great detail. He had to have seen what was going on. So he was somewhere there. You don't hear him preaching. That's very rare to not hear Paul breaking out into some open-air preaching. You don't hear him doing anything and saying anything. But somewhere he's there. But he has these disciples. And look how emboldened they are to stand in the middle of this to defend him. I think it's incredible. They were willing to die for him. And they could have. They didn't know whether they were going in there to die or not. How would you like this to happen to you? How would you like to be ripped out of your church and taken down in the middle of the General Assembly in front of the world court, which is what that is now? If you think, that, if you think down at the Maryland State House, that is a local, state-run, sovereign facility, you're wrong. That is an international court down there. And you are absolutely, when you're down there, you are in front of the world order. That's what it is. And that's what he was in. This was a world religion. Diana, it says here, not only was she worshiping Asian mild, but the whole world worshipped her. And these Christians, they had no way to defend themselves. 25,000 people, and they were about to get ripped to shreds, and they were trusting the Lord through the whole thing. And we complain when we hand a track out to somebody and somebody says something mean to us. I mean, <laughs> these people were incredible. We live faithlessness in the gospel created an outrage, just like the present-day culture. We live in a nation where the church has laryngitis, where one million and a half babies are slaughtered every year, sanctioned by the legislation of the American Congress, the world order, and the church is suffering from laryngitis. We're living in the same thing. Current community conscience today is as bad or worse as we see back here. Lisa. Yeah, they can't even say it. Right. Solace. Tuesday, yeah. I can tell you where he's not. He's nowhere inside of those buildings. Right. 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 That's just the beginning. That's a great point. Look around the churches. We could sit here and have a whole class talking about what we read on these signs out in front of these goofy church. This church has an email. You know, stuff like that. It's prayer conditioned. You don't see any Bible verses. 
You don't see anything about sin. They got these big, beautiful signs, and all they can talk about is having a pet blessings next Tuesday or wherever it is. That happened right down here, by the way. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's the Presbyterian Church in Jacksonville. It is. I mean, this may take a few classes because what you just said is a lead-in for the second third of this whole class. I'm going to give it away, but we're going to go into detail in case anybody forgets. Not one time did Paul, he was there, um, Aristarchus Gaius, not one time they gave the gospel. They were showing the truth as to why Diana was wrong. They never blasphemed Diana one time. They never were sarcastic, irreverent, disrespectful, condescending, and they actually get defended by the town clerk for not doing anything like that. They didn't present any violence. They didn't yell. And that's blasphemy is a real problem. Their God was being blasphemed, and when Paul and them were not blaspheming their God, it actually saved their life. Because if they would have made jokes or if they'd have said anything, they probably would have been drugged in the middle and killed. That's how serious this was. They were facing death right in the face, and they were looking at it, and they were just standing there. There was nothing they could do. Lisa. Saudi Arabia, they shred it right at the airport. Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. And we're all guilty of it. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying that's right. I'm not celebrating Diana. You know, do I read my Bible every day? Right. You know, not always, you know. That's right. Sometimes you do and you like take care of her. And that, that's not an excuse, and God loves. But it happens to us. Right. We're all holy creatures. But to let, you know, and celebrate here. Right. Never Look, we just saw in a few handful of verses. I, 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 can you imagine a movie? That would be made about this event? This would be incredible. That's a great point. And, and, and Lisa's right, and I do agree. We all could do more. All, but this is an encouragement for all of us to do more. Paul's encouraging them to do more. The first thing he's saying before you even are able to even think about getting in your Bible, you've got to stop getting up every morning and yelling chants to this goofy, to this goofy statue. You've got to stop doing this. What he's doing is warning them. And I'd like to ask you a question. What did Paul have to gain by doing this? Was there some great big Presbyterian council that was offering him full benefits and a full salary in order to stand there and do this? Did they say they were going to buy him a new Ferrari or something? He wasn't getting anything. Paul was doing it because he loved the Lord. Lisey. Right, right, right. 
right? Yeah. He doesn't even, money's not even an object. Do you see the difference? The whole application is here. Here's Paul against the Ephesians. He's worried about Christ and their souls. He has nothing to gain. They're worried about their economy because they're selling these little, it's like going to Disney World and telling them they're not allowed to sell Mickey Mouse figurines. It's the same thing. They make billions off it. Take Mickey Mouse and throw them out. Go down there and hold your Bible up and walk in the middle of a magic kingdom and say that. See if they don't throw you in the middle of a Beauty and the Beast thing or whatever and have you eaten. Down there, that's the same thing. They had all these little tiny idols and figurines of Diana. And they were selling them all over the place, making a fortune. It was an easy economy. Back then, it was hard to make money. Very difficult to, to survive. And they were making a fortune off of it. Here's the question. Why? Why is it that when Christ's word is given, why is it that there's always such contention? Well, I'm here to tell you, very simply, the truth has absolutely no embargo with falsehoods. And whenever it comes together, when the truth is expounded, it's like two positive wires coming together and it starts sparking. There's absolutely no... You know what Paul didn't do here? I'll tell you what. I don't know where he was in this amphitheater, but I'll tell you what he didn't do. He made it very clear that Christ is the center. He made it very clear that there was absolutely no doubt who he was talking about. Paul did not give in to idols. Basically, they, these people were watching, a, they were watching and chanting to a shrine to Diana. They perceived some image in it that they made with their own hands. There were no less than 33 shrines to Diana in Asia Minor. People literally talked to idols made with their own hands. They cannot see. They cannot smell. These idols cannot talk. They can't even breathe, and they worship them. Psalm 115, verses 1 through 8. Can I ask, uh, Matthew, could you look that up, please? Psalm 115, verses 1 through 8. Today in modern America, the churches do not necessarily make as many man-made idols, but today the idols that are out there that are being worshipped are basically ideas. They are ideas that have been retranslated to get people's attention. Go ahead if you're ready. Psalm 115, yes, verses 1 through 8. Yep. What does that mean, that last verse? Thank you, Matthew. That last verse says they are, it says, they that make them are like unto them. What does it mean? They're dead, Lisa. Right? They're dead. They're just like them. They have no life in them. Can you imagine Paul sitting at all the different regions with their pagan religions down? 
Can you imagine him setting up a Manhattan Declaration of Ecumenical Magnitude? Can you imagine him doing something like that? Has anyone here ever heard of the Manhattan Declaration? 2009? I remember when it came out. The Manhattan Declaration states, Christians are heirs of a 2,000-year tradition of proclaiming God's Word, and it identifies Christians as Orthodox, Catholic, and Evangelicals, all born-again Christians. It is basically an attempt to codify a universal Christian caucus. All these religions in 2009 got together to form basically an ecclesiastical justice league to stop crime and fight many immoral practices. What does our Lord say about this? What, what, what Paul would not do is get all these religions together and come up with some kind of compromise, make some kind of a Marvel Comics Justice League of religious heroes and all get together to fight this. He stood alone because he's the only one that declared Christ as God. Amen. And look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 24. Matthew 6, 24 says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. Ye cannot serve God and mammon. Very lovely little verse in Amos 3, 3. Such brilliance. Amos 3, 3. Can two walk together except they be agreed? I never forgot that verse since I was a kid. You can't. It's not possible. You believe in Christ and someone else doesn't? All you can be is a missionary to them, but you'll never agree with them on their religion. You can't. Lisa. Good. Right. Right. But that's a unifying bond that all Christians have. That's what binds us together. We all believe in one Christ. Lisey, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Please. And the question is, while she's looking that up, why is there one standard? Why is there only one true? It's not a religion. What we believe in, it's not a religion. You cannot throw that into a bucket. What we believe in is the truth because we have the only Savior that is the only, only possible and efficient, perfect atonement for our sins. No one else can die for your sins, and that's the standard. Lisey, go ahead and then Lisey, when you're done. Amen. And that's right after Paul, he cries out and he says, be ye separate. Lisa. Right. 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 And the question is, how did he worship? 
See, that's what we have to clarify. How did Christ worship when He was here on this earth? What did He do? He prayed. He sung. When He came out of the upper room, they sang, and most believe that it was Psalm 118, the great Hallel. He sung, He read, He read Scripture, and He prayed. Why do we have to do more than that? Why? It's everywhere. Lisa. Right. Right. How, I mean, it's so important to understand that. How Christ worshipped is how we are to worship. We are to follow Him. It wasn't about money. He didn't build edifices to make... You know how much money He could have made by doing these miracles? Look at the guys that, that perform these fake miracles. Look how much money they make, and they don't even perform miracles. He could do it. But what did He do? He goes in and He runs out the money changers when they were trying to do it. He worshipped by doing the three things that we are to do. Read Scripture, pray, and sing. That's what we do. And the truth is supposed to be given. And now today all that's called is traditional worship. You know, frozen chosen. No, I need my guitars. I need my entertainment. I need my bread and circuses. That's not what we need. And the Lord's telling us. Next week we're going to see how Christ is the standard. What happened with this town clerk? What did he do? And how did Paul and Aristarchus and Gaius get out of this in the middle of over 25,000 people? How did they do this? This is incredible. I mean, this is like, this is a miracle in and of itself. Let's finish there, and I'd like to ask, uh, let's see, um, I'll tell you what, Greg, could you close us this morning? Thank you.